Join me, Professor RPG, as I sit down with friends, colleagues, and special guests as we reminisce and discuss role-playing games that left their mark on us. Expect to see all sorts, from western style to Japanese and even tabletop. So stay a while and listen, and let us trigger those memories of tales long since completed. Relive that fantasy you hold dear, and come along with us, adventurer, on this quest into the past. Welcome to the RPG University. Class is in session, and this week I have the pleasure of welcoming back to the university one of the nicest voices you'll find on the internet, Twitter icon, Twitch partner, Stealth40k. Welcome back, Stealth. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you? Doing well. Doing well. Just uh, enjoying this Sunday that when we're recording and hanging out and getting work done and all that jazz, <laughs> that is, you know? That is exactly what I am doing. <laughs> yeah, you got a big week coming up, so take and join your... Uh, your rest before getting back into the swing of things so very cool but we are here to talk about xenoblade chronicles the original xenoblade chronicles that released way back in 2012 that this year got a definitive edition on the nintendo switch but we're gonna keep it to eh, we'll, we'll cover all the versions the switch the wii u everything so everything's on the table but initially the original wii version released back in 2012 uh, in the U.S., but before that, it released in 2010, June of 2010 in Japan, and then would eventually see release in uh, in, the, in Europe in August of 2011, September of 2011 for Australia, and then finally making its way to the U.S. on April 6th of 2012. Of course, that wouldn't be the first time we see Xenoblade Chronicles eventually getting a new Nintendo 3DS port that would release on April 2nd. 2015 in Japan and PAL regions, and then on April 10th, 2015 in the U.S., and then finally worldwide this year, the Nintendo Switch Definitive Edition Remaster on May 29th, 2020. Now, to get your minds back kind of in the scheme of things of what you might have been playing back in 2012 when it originally came out, other games that came out were Dishonored, Borderlands 2... Mass Effect 3, Diablo 3, Guild Wars 2, Darksiders 2, Halo 4, XCOM, Enemy Unknown, Kingdoms of Amalur, Reckoning, which is almost, we are we are almost upon us of getting a remaster of that, and Fire Emblem Awakening and Kingdom Hearts Dream Drop Distance. So a lot of pretty big RPGs uh, came out back in 2012, and Xenoblade Chronicles was one of them. But... So, Stealth, when was your first experience, and when did you first dive into the world of the Bionis and Mechanis? So, I actually first heard about this game, or really paid attention to it, when there was a small feature um, in Nintendo Power. I don't exactly remember what year, um, but it, but the game actually had the name Monado, the beginning... Uh, it was called Monado, the uh, beginning of the world. Um, and, and that was the title of the game when it like first hit Nintendo Power. It wasn't even a Xenoblade game. Um, it was just a brand new RPG for Monolith Soft. So that's kind of when, um, you know, the game really caught my eye. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and then Nintendo Power had more and more features. Um, there were some previews of the game. And, yeah, the, the game just looked phenomenal. So, you know, I, I, I kind of have to credit Nintendo Power for how, uh, you know, I first really heard about the game. Yeah. Now, did you... After all the craziness, how it was like, not canceled, but then it was revealed initially as Monado, and then it went quiet, and then it got removed from Nintendo of America's website, and then it came back as Xenoblade, all that craziness, Project Rainfall, whatnot. Did you ever end up picking this up when it or when it, when it finally came out in the West on Wii? I did buy it uh, for Wii, and uh, as I recall, it was a GameStop exclusive, mm -hmm. um, and, and was shipped in very limited quantities, so I was able to pick up a copy, and before the 3DS version came out, and before the Switch version came out, you know, to get a Wii copy, it was like $100, I believe, you know, they were very, oh, yeah. very rare, um, but I did pick up the original Wii version. Yeah. Uh, I remember I had pre-ordered it because I was a big fan of Operation Rainfall. So all the games that were part of that last story, Xenoblade, Pandora's Tower, as soon as those all went up for pre-order, I made sure to get them because um, I, I, I wanted to support the developers. And this one was by far the biggest one out of the trio. Um, 
and the fact that it went on to be a GameStop exclusive, like that was a big deal back in the day. But so I pre-ordered it. I remember picking it up, still have my copy, but this was a game that I kind of bounced off of at the beginning. Like I played up through, um, Satoral Marsh, I want to say on the Wii and like, I liked it, but there was something about the combat and not being able to have much control over my party members during combat that kind of pushed me away. Yeah. Uh, so I kind of bounced off it with the original Wii release. Did you? Did it grab you right away when you first? Um, played? it it did grab me right away because at the time I, I remember I was not playing a lot of RPGs and you know I was looking for that next big one to dive into and. And I, I think the, the the thing that surprised me the most was I, I still couldn't believe that we was able to run a game like that. Yeah. Um. It was it was enormous. I'm still surprised. Like replaying Definitive Edition earlier this year, you and I uh, were talking as we were going through our playthroughs and whatnot. Uh, this is still such an impressive like this is an impressive game on the Switch, and it just blew my mind again. Holy crap! This was originally on the Wii. It's it's mind boggling. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I agree. You know, not 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 only is you know, like uh, the actual world enormous, but you know, there's like 500 quests, probably more than that. Most most people don't even see, you know, most of the quests during any playthrough. You know, mm-hmm. doing a hundred percent run takes 200 plus hours. Yeah. Um, speaking kind of of the quests, what's your view? Like, what did you think of how the quests were handled? Um, originally, you know, you would get so many quests and, you know, it'd be very, un- it'd be very, very hard to know what, where you were in each one, where you had to go. Um, it was very overwhelming with the Wii version, um, but they fixed that in the Switch version, mm-hmm. of course. But, you know, many of the quests were, you know, fetch-based quests, you know, go here. Many of the quests were defeat certain number of monsters, find certain number of items, um, that kind of... Um, you know, encouraged exploration and, you know, battling. Um, but but then you, you would find a quest that would lead to another quest that would lead to something special that would lead to maybe part of the world opening up to you mm-hmm. um, in, in a way that you didn't think that it would. But, you know, the, those quests are more are fewer and far between than, than the regular kind of fetch quests. Yeah, I thought... the I have to say the... the how how they went with quantity over quality of yeah. quests in this game has always kind of bummed me out. Like I I've, I've played through and finished uh, the definitive edition. I fell in love with it. I, so even though I bounced off it in the Wii and 3ds versions playing through and kind of pushing through kind of the points uh, that I had issues with earlier and with the improvements on the switch version, it, I fell in love with the game. I love the characters. I love the story, the world, is and lore behind it is probably one of my favorite of any RPG out there. But the quests were just so monotonous and repetitive. It's like find X amount or kill X things. And they, none of them seem to add much to the game itself. It was just, we have a bunch of quests so you can do a bunch of quests. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it because the difficulty of some of the bosses can be overwhelming. Um, a lot. I think a lot of those quests are there for you to level up. Um, and in Xenoblade Chronicles Two, there weren't any of those kind of fetch quests. Um, you know, in terms of mm-hmm. defeat X amount of monsters, they kind of removed that and kept just the character based. And and then there were a few fetch quests, but they didn't have um, any of the enemy kind of quests where you had to defeat a certain number of enemies. Um, so I think I think Monolith Soft learned from that, but you know I, I actually in the Definitive Edition I enjoyed it because it gave me an opportunity to level up. I enjoyed the battle system, so I didn't I didn't find it as grating as I did when I originally played it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know the thing is you, you don't you don't know which are the special quests really. Yeah. Um, you know until you do them, and that and that's kind of still annoying. In the Definitive Edition, you kind of just have to you know come upon um, you know quests and. You know, the only the only way you unlock more quests is if you speak to literally every single NPC or every special NPC in the town, mm-hmm. and you know, so that's kind of, you know, it it adds a it adds a, an an extra step to it that some people might find annoying, where you know, you literally have to find every single person in the town to talk to to raise 
um, your affinity level. Yeah, the whole that was one aspect I think was really interesting that was done here is how you literally created a web of these connections that you could check up with all the the different um, colonies and villages you visit. And each of those specific special NPCs you mentioned would appear and would have their own affinity towards you. And it's like, this was a, this is a massive, massive game. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but like, what was, what are some moments that really stand out to you with Xenoblade Chronicles or like, who was your main party? Um, let's see what main party did I use in the definitive edition? I used Shulk. Um, I used, uh, who, who did I use? Oh, I, I used Ryan, who I replaced with Ricky, uh, about midway through. And then I used Sharla because Sharla's a healer. So the, the, I did not use Melia at all, which mm. is funny because in the, in the definitive edition, um, epilogue, you know, the story is basically about, um, Melia and mm -hmm. I just didn't use her whatsoever. Um, yeah. And I did not use, um, uh, what's her name? I already forgot her name. Let's look at the character. Fiora? Fiora, Fiora, yeah. I did not use Fiora either. And and I did not use Dunban. Yeah, my main party for a lot of it was Shulk, Dunban, and Ricky. Uh, Ricky actually served as my healer because he had his uh, area of effect heal spray. Um, so I had him pulling some some heal duty as well as tanks. So. Yeah, I, I tried that, but and eventually I used Sharla and Ricky mm -hmm. um, to have the double heal. But I, one or the other just wasn't enough. I was getting overwhelmed for some of the more difficult mob encounters. Um, you know, I was getting more overwhelmed, and, and Ricky was just an, an amazing tank. But, yeah. but each character had their own niche. Yeah, very much so, very much so. And I was like you, I didn't touch really Melia until I got to Future Connected. Um, yeah, I mean, apparently what I've heard is, you know, the computer doesn't really use her at all or doesn't know how to use her. Mm -hmm. So, like, you know, um, really the only way to use her is if you control her. Yeah. And some people want to and some people don't because she isn't really all that fun to control. Yeah, it, I didn't mind her so much when I did play Future Connect. It's like, okay, it took me a while to kind of get used to what her gimmick is, what her niche was. It's like, okay, so I had, like, these floating elementals. I would just, like, summon them and then use them, whereas it's more, no, you keep them around, so they instill the spe their specific buffs on the party, and then if you need to do damage, then you use them. And it's, like, an interesting balancing act. It's Melia is probably one of the most unique casters I've played as in an RPG. Um, but... Speaking of uh, Future Connected, I want to hear your take on the epilogue of it. Yeah, I mean, I was pretty shocked how big it was, um, you know, in terms of just the landmass and also how many. I mean, it felt like an extension of the main game where, you know, the, 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 the few settlements there are, um, you know, you have to speak to everybody. You, there's a ton of quests, mm -hmm. way more quests than I thought. Um the, 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 the story itself, I, it didn't have the payoff I was looking for. Yeah. Um, you know, it kind of wrapped up Melia's story, I guess. Um, you know, I was kind of disappointed that, you know, you didn't get any idea what happened to the other main cast. It, it seemed weird that Fiora wouldn't go with Shulk mm -hmm. um, or, or none of the others would. And Shulk just decided to go by himself. Um, you know, that part seemed kind of weird where... You know, it, it was literally just Melia's story and Shulk was kind of along for the ride. Um, th that's kind of how it felt to me. Yeah, it's... I was hoping after kind of some of the tweaks they did with uh, Xenoblade, like changing... Oh, I can't remember his name. He was the other Monado user with uh, white hair. Oh, I'm trying to remember. He helped out Shulk a bunch of times. Elvis. Elvis, yeah. Elvis? Yeah. Like how they changed in this definitive edition yeah. his necklace to be yeah. the the same symbol as the cores and or the Aegises in Xenoblade and Chronicles 2. I was really hoping that they would kind of help bring together or link 
even more clearly Xenoblade 1 and 2. Like, I was hoping they would be, like, some cool payoff, whereas... Yeah, th- th- that's true, because th- th- that became kind of a theory where, you know, Klaus and Xenoblade mm-hmm. 2, you know, there was, um, you know, the uh, the two Aegises, and then he said one one was lost when, you know, mm-hmm. kind of like the catastrophe happened, and and most people assumed that it, it was Alvis mm-hmm. um, who, who got pushed into that other dimension, and they did confirm that with his redesign. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you're right. And because and, and the other thing is that they, they said before the game came out that, you know, the, the epilogue would tie into the future of the series, you know, and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. And so I was kind of looking for that. And, and you didn't really get a payoff in, in that regard either. No. And then the enemy, the like, I OK, from what I took from it, reading the those same interviews and stuff you just mentioned was, OK, it's going to be it's going to be something cool like. What can we expect? Like, how's this going to tease it? And I feel like the only thing they teased is that there's now these like dark, smoky fire portals that yeah, and then, yeah, and there's even like another dimension that you know, uh, you know, because mm-hmm. in in the Xenoblade um, universe, when you know the calamity happened, you know there were an infinite number of universes created, all of them having you know not not the mm-hmm. same characters but kind of similar themes and. Um, you know, so that, that, that darkness was like a different one, um, which is possibly where Xenoblade 3 is going to take place. So they, they, they kind of hinted at that a mm-hmm. little bit, um, but not really. Yeah, I was I was disappointed in Future Connected. Like, I liked kind of the tweaks they did to it, like with uh, finding the Nopan um, characters to be your team up attack. It was weird, but it's like, okay. Um, I liked Ricky's kids. I thought they added some... I, I thought they were good. I enjoyed their characters. Yeah, I, I enjoyed them too. I really, really enjoyed them. Um, but the like you said, the payoff, I feel like, just wasn't there. Cause, because there's been so much teasing, especially like with the ending of Xenoblade Chronicles 2, that blew... Like, I remember my mind getting blown when I saw that and how it kind of connected with Xenoblade Chronicles 1 and then hearing how the Definitive Edition was going to have this future connected epilogue that would tease the future of the series. I was thinking, Oh oh man, what's, what's going to be, is there going to be like an ages tease? Did they discover something crazy? Like what's going to happen? And the fact that it was just Melia retaking her homeland, which I think could is cool, but just to have it be some weird, creepy smoke monster that's keeping them out. is just like, that's that's not what I wanted. That's not what I was hoping for. Yeah, and and I remember a lot of people were speculating because in the Xenoblade Two DLC, um, in the battle arena, you know, Shulk and, and Fiora would come through a portal, mm-hmm. and I, I think when when many people saw that portal in the trailer, they thought, oh, this is how maybe Rex and you know Pyra come, you know, and and kind of bridge the games together in that way and mm. that just that didn't happen at all yeah it would have been cool if there was some crossover like you either got like a special secret boss fight or something with rex and pyra or mithra or whatever where they came through and then maybe they recognized shulk and fiora or something yeah um because they had crossed over previously i think there was a lot of potential there that was that was missed um, I'm still glad they did it. I think it, like you said, the size of the the future epilogue was incredibly impressive. Um, but the the payoff just wasn't quite there. Yeah, and you know, you, you start off at level sixty, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so so you're already pretty powerful when you begin. You don't have any of Shulk's like future sight abilities. Um, but you know, it makes the fact that you know you start at level sixty. There there are still special monsters in in the epilogue. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, to try and fight. So it makes you want to, like, get to, like, level 80, mm-hmm. level 90, which a lot of people don't hit in the main game. So it kind of gave you a handicap that way. Yeah. But overall, though, what were some of the big story beats from the, the main game, I would say, that, that stuck with you? Like, what really drew you in to Xenoblade Chronicles way back when? I- well, you know, the, the fact that you have, you know, two titans, 
um, you know, one where, you know, kind of organic creatures live, the other where mechanical beings live. Um, you know, I really wanted to see, uh, you know, the Mechonis. I really wanted mm-hmm. to see that other place that these characters had never seen. Um, that, that was really very, very interesting to me. You know, who are these mechanical creatures? You know, what kind of civilization do they have? Um, so that really drew, drew me in. Um, and then the other part was, you know, obviously it's called Xenoblade. How does it relate, if it does relate at all, to Xenosaga on PS2? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, where does it, you know, where does the Zohar relate? Um, which is, you know, kind of the crest that the Aegis is yeah. wear. Um, and, you know, it does relate a little bit. Um, it, 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 it does relate a little bit. The fact that these are all multiverses. Uh, it's basically a big multiverse. Um, you know, and that, you know, the Zohar kind of is part of it, um, you know, but differently in each universe. Yeah. Um, and then that, that, that's kind of, that was probably the biggest part of what drew me in is when you call something Zeno anything, mm-hmm. I, I need to know how it's going to relate to this larger universe that they've created. Yeah. I, I would love it if they brought in or tied more to Zeno Saga and even Zeno Gears, like just little nods and kind of create this holy crap, it's all been connected this whole time. You know, like that meme where it's the two astronauts and they're looking at the Earth. It's like, it was all Xeno Saga the whole time or Xeno Gears yeah, the whole time. And, and it was awesome where in Xenoblade 2, you could actually get um, Cosmos and mm-hmm. she had her own quest line. And, and I thought that was really cool. It kind of tied things in a little bit that way. Yeah. Um, yeah, I loved... I think the idea of having two... Uh, populations of people living on these giant titans, these giant creatures, essentially, and evolving their own way is one of the most unique and interesting kind of ideas for a lore or history in an RPG. Like, I love this idea and that you can look up into the sky at any time and see either the Bionis or Mechonis just chilling there, like, asleep. It was so cool. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I mean, honestly, there's been no other game like it other than Xenoblade 2. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that, 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 I mean, honestly, you know, in many ways, I think, you know, Monolith Soft is probably, you know, c- creating the most impressive RPGs that are coming out of Japan. Um, and, and what they were able to do just on the original Wii, even even getting the game on the 3DS was crazy. Yeah, how that, that took some black magic right there. That's all I got to yeah. say. Um, but it's it's really intense. Like, it's in- incredibly impressive how Monolith Soft has grown. And you've tweeted about this um, even recently that they just constantly keep staffing up and we know they're working on an, an unannounced title. We don't know if it has to do with uh, the Xenos series or the franchise. We don't know if it's another remaster or completely new IP from them, but it's so good to see how with each release, they just keep growing. And it reminds me how for a long time, early 2010s, um, how a lot of people were kind of poo-pooing the idea of Japanese RPGs, and it was so much, the atmosphere was shifting so much to a Western-focused RPG variety. Um, And I think that a big reason Japanese RPGs are making such a grand comeback uh, is... No, due in no small part thanks to the immense efforts put in by Monolith Soft. Yeah, you're right. I, I do tweet about how Monolith Soft staffs up every so often when they update their website. Um, you know, the, the, there was an interview with Takahashi, the um, the founder, where when they split off from Square Enix, um, they were only 40 employees, and now they have over 250. Um, so they grew considerably. Now, not only that, but they have, I think, about four teams. Uh, one team is a support team that works with other Nintendo projects. Um, you know, they're working on Zelda. They work on Animal Crossing. They work on Splatoon. They work on a bunch of other stuff. But then they have their other teams. Um, and, you know, their, their, their number one pr- uh, production team works on the Xenoblade series. 
And they, they mentioned in an interview not that long ago where, you know, part of the team was working on defi- on was working on Definitive Edition. Um, and if they wanted to, they could have made the epilogue much bigger, but they chose not to because the other half of the team was working on a brand new game. As you said, we don't know what it is yet. But, um, you know, the fact that they, they, they can do all this stuff um, is really a testament to how far they've come. Mm-hmm. One area that we, well, one of the two areas that I want to touch on that we haven't yet is what, what's your take on the combat? Because I feel like the combat in Xenoblade is one of the more divisive aspects of this game. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that. Um, you know, after playing Xenoblade 2 for so long, doing multiple playthroughs of that, um, you know, I realized how complicated Xenoblade 2 is compared to the original Xenoblade. And where most people found Xenoblade very complicated um, originally, um, you know, I, I think it's it, it takes a lot of strategy. Um, you know, it takes some timing, not nearly as much as Xenoblade 2. I think Xenoblade 2 has probably the most complicated battle system in any JRPG ever. Um, but... You know, the fact that the, the one part of it, you don't really control your other characters. You kind of have to switch them out. There's no really fast switch, mm-hmm. um, at least that I was aware of. Maybe I played through all 200, you know, 200 hours of that game without knowing how. Um, but, you know, there, there was very little switching. Um, and, you know, I, I did I did find it somewhat annoying that, you know, obviously you can upgrade your attack, your, your arts um, by using them. But to get your third level arts, you kind of need rare drops from like the hardest monsters in the game, mm-hmm. and that I found kind of annoying. Yeah, um, my biggest issue was I never felt in Xenoblade Chronicles that the AI was smart enough to yeah. do what I wanted it to do. Like I yeah, when you wanted them to heal, they wouldn't heal um, when you really needed it. No, and especially with the timing that you mentioned to break and topple and launch yeah. enemies it's so dependent upon if your ai will follow up yeah the the, the one thing that would annoy me constantly and it was kind of a glitch that they never really solved where you know your one of your other party members is toppled and your third party member would go to run but if there were like a, a line of enemies in the way, they would just keep running. They wouldn't really attack. They, they would just get stuck trying to recover your second party member. That was super annoying. And then you'd have to stop attacking and, and get them yourself. Yeah. Um, it. This game reminded me, and I will continue to the day I die to preach, uh, preach this, more RPGs, if... If an RPG has AI-controlled companions, they need to incorporate the Gambit system from Final Fantasy XII where you can kind of customize the AI to how you want it. I agree. If you're not going to let me physically swap to other characters mid-combat, let me at least tweak the settings for their AI and give parameters. It's like, if this happens, then do this. It's Because with especially here with timing where you only have a few seconds to follow up being toppled with the stunned and like the next part of that combo you need more control or just really make good ai but yeah the 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 ai was a little better um in xenoblade 2 um, but, you know, it still ran into some of the same problems, but they definitely seemed to, you know, increase what they could do. Um, it, it wasn't as much of an issue right? in, in, in the sequel. True. Uh, the Definitive Edition and Xenoblade Chronicles 2 was a vast improvement, I feel, in a number of aspects from gameplay to um, accessibility to all sorts of things with the Definitive Edition compared to the original. Um, but another aspect that was... Uh, redone and reworked was an already amazing amazing soundtrack Uh, this game has one of the best soundtracks uh, that I can that comes to mind 
Yeah, I agree. Um, and, you know, while Xenoblade 2 probably has my favorite soundtrack on Switch, you know, not not including Smash Brothers or anything. Um, but, yeah, Z the, the, the original Xenoblade, um, you know, it was... I mean, again, you have to remember, this was the Wii. It felt like every every... Every area had its own soundtrack. I mean, every area had its own track. Every town had its own track. Um, you know, when you went into, you know, any place at night, the, the track changed to kind of be a little bit more mellow. Um, you know, that that, 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 that that aspect of it kind of blew my mind where, you know, at night you'd have, you'd have the same exact track, but it would kind of be a little bit more jazzy. Mm -hmm. um, I love the boss theme in Xenoblade Chronicles as well. Um really really good. Like it does it's it gets you hype. It gets you hype pretty good. It it got me hype anyway. Um, yeah, I mean you you knew that you were in for it when you hit that when when you know the uh, guitar started going mm -hmm. crazy. Yeah. Were there any uh locations that really stuck out to you? Um you know, it's hard for me to remember specific names, but, um, you know, it, it, it was in, uh, where was it? Um, it was in the marsh area. And, and, and there was kind of, and I, and, I, and I kind of alluded to this before, there, there was kind of like a temple on top of a hill. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there, there was a bunch of lizard enemies in there, and there was a, you know, a, a mega powerful lizard enemy. Um, there was also a quest line that took you through there, and there were hidden rooms in that temple, mm -hmm. and, and that kind of always blew my mind. That you know, you go into a place, it, and it has way more to it than than you think it does. Um, but you know, pretty much all of the locations have you know one or two special areas where you get like this crazy view, um, and you know, it was really it was really great. I wish. I hope that in the next game, they include a photo mode because I think this, and granted, you can kind of finagle the camera and get some fantastic shots, especially, I love the night vistas, like when you saw the sky lit up at night yeah. and you saw the Makanas kind of like in its slumbering state. So like some lights flickering on it, on it, or its eyes kind of just glowing for boating in the, in the, yeah. in the distance. Um, yeah, and there's one, and there's one region where you know it's not every night, but you know if you keep reloading it, you'll see it eventually. There's like a star storm that goes on, mm -hmm. um, and I actually did take a picture of that. But yeah, you're right. There's no like actual photo mode in the game. I took a snapshot with the switch, um, and then posted it to Twitter. Um, but yeah, well, it would have been great if there was something like Mario Odyssey where you could have applied filters and things like that. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully in the next one because photo modes are all the rage these days, and the art style that the Xeno games that monolith goes for with these xeno games is always superb um, yeah i agree but yeah it's just just a good game i mean i'm intrigued to see how the series continues to evolve um going forward especially with the combat aspect i'm curious how it will continue to get fleshed out and adjusted yeah i definitely agree with that um any other moments or things you want to mention about the old uh, Xenoblade? Um, you know, I, I think it, 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 it's not on the same level as Aerith or anything from Final Fantasy VII, but, you know, yeah, seeing how, you know, Fiora not, 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 not really died, because that is shocking, but seeing her, and, and it's especially more jarring in the Definitive Edition with the more detail, Mm -hmm. You know, you you see her struggle with literally having a mechanical body that is missing organs. Yeah. Um. You know, that's kind of it, it's it's very shocking. Um. You know, and most games don't really do that. Um. You know, bring you know killing your character, bringing her back as you know kind of an android. Mm -hmm. Um. And you know, and then you know she, she kind of comes back. Um. That, that that's kind of really you know a shocking moment of, of that game, seeing how. Um, you know, seeing how it ties into Xenoblade 2 from the other end after you've played Xenoblade 2, um, that I find particularly enjoyable. Yeah, what was... I, the first... Because the first time I played through the entire thing was with the Definitive Edition, and I knew Fiora was going to come back because it had been, I mean, eight years at that point. But it, the depth and kind of complexity, it's like, okay, so Fiora is like 
sharing her body with the soul of the mechanist who's actually kind of good and the people it, it was i wasn't expecting all of that and the mechon being uh like the faces the reason like the monado doesn't really work on them is because they're like powered by like humans that have been turned into androids kind of thing it it was so much deeper than yeah uh, humans it, it, versus it, robots it was very deep because you know klaus in this universe is zanza um and and the scientist who tried to stop klaus in the space station mm-hmm. is that soul from the mechanis yeah um and, and it's crazy how you know in each of the universes they're they 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 were kind of put there um you know kind of opposing each other there as well um and and that i found very very interesting playing it back again um you know and the fact that um you know you you know shulk is also you know the fact i forgot about this until just this moment the the fact that shulk technically died um you know before the main game even Mm -hmm. started and you know zanza was inhabiting his body the entire time and the fact that that that's the only reason why he was able to hold the Minato, um, you know, and the fact that the Minato, you know, kind and the fact that he kind of let um, Dunban use the Minato, it still hurt him though. But the fact that you know he allowed all of that to happen without even knowing it. Mm-hmm. It's uh, so. I'm curious, do you think the Bionis and Makanis are, like, the fully evolved core crystals from Xenoblade Chronicles 2? Are they further forms of Titans? Um, That's a good question. I'm not sure, but, I mean, the way I see it is, you know, because of these parallel multiverses, in that multiverse, the landmass became Titans, Um, you know, and in the original, they, you know, became, uh, you know, well, they both became titans, but mm-hmm. um, you know, kind of they, they 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 kind of became different forms of them. Um, you know, I'm not really sure if you can say that necessarily. Um, you know, but the fact that these two multiverses are connected, it, it is interesting. Ha- I mean, the I mean they they were they aren't really all that concerned. You know, the, about the fact that okay, these titans are dead. You know, the story isn't about the fact that yeah. you know there's not a lot of landmass left. You know, if one Titan goes down, there's not enough space for, you know, people to live. That, that, that was the primary crux of Xenoblade 2's story. Um, you know, the fact that, you know, if these Titans dropped, um, you know, you don't know what's under the Cloud Sea, whereas, you know, in Xeno, in the original Xenoblade, the Titans died standing. So there mm-hmm. wasn't really an issue, um, you know, of losing landmass. So, you know, that is an interesting thing to think about, for sure. You know, I didn't think about that before. It's like, that could be kind of cool if they somehow incorporate that kind of idea. But uh, talking a bit about Klaus and Zanza, it's I I found, especially after having played and beaten Xenoblade Chronicles 2 before beating the first game, it was interesting to see the dichotomy of just how different Klaus is from the personality of Zanza, even though they're like, two halves of the same whole kind of thing uh yeah vastly vastly different characters with different motivations which is surprising yeah it was like the negative portions of klaus were ripped out and sent to that other dimension Mm -hmm. but 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 there's still one person if one dies the other dies yeah uh and it playing through this game just hit so much harder the moment in Xenoblade Chronicles 2 where you hear the ending, like you hear Shulk and the company talking to Sansa, and I thought that was so, so cool. I agree. It would have been kind of cool with this definitive edition of Xenoblade Chronicles 1. You maybe hear Klaus and like the people on the other side of things, like the Xenoblade 2 cast talking, like a a bit of a cross. That would have been kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. I, that that would have been a nice change, um, but yeah, I think that would have maybe changed things a little bit too much. Yeah.
we aren't the only people that really enjoyed Xenoblade Chronicles. So we're going around the web. First off, we have user Outset Eddie from Reddit. I recently beat Xenoblade Chronicles 1 in December of 2019, so it's not heavy on nostalgia. And I also beat the Definitive Edition a couple months back, but I would say my fondest memory looking back was probably first time entering Magna Forest, seeing how beautiful and tropical it was. Just exploring and also first entering Makana's Field. I thought the theme would be dark and spooky by the way it started out, but then it turned out to be one of my favorite themes. Yeah, talking a bit about the different soundtracks in the various worlds, uh, not worlds, but the various zones. Um, each one very unique. Very unique. Did you want to get the next one? I'll get the next one. Um, the next one comes from Synthetic Hands from Reddit. Um, I'll remember the excitement I felt when I first got the game. I remember, I remember the excitement I felt when I first got the game on Christmas in 2012 and began playing it. Hearing the nighttime music for Colony 9 always takes me back to that time. Makana's core and the ending were some of the first instances where a game was able to make me cry. I remember putting off facing the final boss for three weeks because I didn't want it to end. It's hard to put it into words the immense impact the game had on my life. Yeah, and I think for, for a lot of people, this was like their first like big JRPG. Mm -hmm. Like there was a lot of... I remember because of the whole operation rainfall and the will it won't it come out in the states when it finally came out and the fact that it was out overseas for nearly a year i want to say by the time we finally got it over here um it was there was a lot of hype for it and the fact that the wii wasn't region free so people couldn't import to play it was in incredibly aggravating um for us over here so when it finally came out and GameStop exclusive whatnot this was this was a big deal a lot of people wanted to pick it up and the Wii U or the Wii excuse me uh it had it had some RPGs but none of them on the same level or scale I would say is Xenoblade yeah I agree and, and many even on the PS3 weren't at that same level mm-hmm um in terms of scale yeah at this point like the idea of waggle controls in every single game was kind of past. This game didn't use waggle controls. It was a very traditional RPG. It didn't feel like an RPG for the Wii. It just felt like a really good RPG. Really impressive RPG. I agree. I agree. Um, next up, we have user Raining Metal from Reddit. Simply the time I had on my first playthrough with the 3DS version on my trip to Las Vegas. I was doing the ether mine portion when we were on a trip to the desert caves in the area. That was when the plot and gameplay really got interesting. Too bad my system had a limited battery. Yeah, uh, and this was... The ether mine was, I would say, one of the big uh, gatekeepers, like barriers for early game. It's like, that was when things really started to get going. Like, you had to dive into the Bionis and... You had to rescue uh, Juju and fight a face for the first time and realize, oh crap, something's really not not right. My my yeah. strategies aren't working. Uh, and yeah, and and then that's important too because there's also a quest line where you find out who that face was, um, and it really hits hard that you know he did you know maybe he wasn't evil in the beginning, but he was forced to, and then you have all these conflicting feelings. So that actually was a very important part for me. I don't think I ever did that quest. I don't remember. Yeah. I don't know who that was then. Yeah, you find out kind of who he was, what what his occupation... I won't spoil it for you if you want to go back, but you find out, you know, his occupation, and then, you know, it kind of all makes sense. The weapon he was using, mm -hmm. um, you find some of his family, um, and yeah, it, it's it's sad. That, that, that part's sad. You should go back. I will, now that I, I know it's a thing. And just touching on the... Uh, quest system again it's like that would have been things like that need a special mark like so yeah. they don't get lost in just all the humdrum of the quest system because your quest log will get so big if you just select and agree to everything it's kind of nice yeah. alright I'll take the next one sure. this is from Global Lion uh, two moments come to mind 
The first is during the introduction after Dunban fights back against the Mechon, and the camera pans out to show off the entire game's world. Amazing. And the second is when you get to Valak Mountain and Nightfall hits for the first time, and you experience that music with crystals lighting up the night sky in the background. Also amazing. Yeah, I mean this this game had like some crazy, some just some crazy screenshot worthy you know places for sure. Mm-hmm. And like uh, Global said, this the introduction to this game, like that intro cinematic, was pretty badass. Yeah, I agree. And all, just want to say was not I had not been spoiled in my eight years uh, between find, when the game released and when I finally beat it. I had no idea about all the stuff with Dixon, so that totally blew me away. Yes, um, yeah, Dixon that blew a lot of people away. But you know, hints are kind of dropped. Mm-hmm. You know, periodically, you know, even NPCs you talk to speak about you know. How, you know, he hasn't aged or he hasn't changed, you know. Yeah. And, uh, you know, things like that are dropped, but you don't really pay too much attention to it. But, yeah, that that was a big moment. Like, I knew something was up with him, like, but I wasn't expecting him to turn on you. Like, I wasn't, I was expecting, he was, there was something magical or special about him, but I wasn't anticipating it to go the direction that it went. Oh. And I always kind of wanted him to have be in my party too. I liked his gunblade thing he was rocking. I always thought he would be in the party until he until it was made very clear that he'd never be. Yeah. Um, Next up, we have the Minels from Reddit. Definitely the first time I went through Satoral Marsh. I constantly set my clock to the morning so I could hear the daytime version of Guar Plains theme. So when I first entered Satoral Marsh, it was daytime. It didn't really strike me as anything special at first, just your standard excuse me, swamp area that you'd quietly pass by. And then nighttime came. The light streaming off the trees off an amazing atmosphere. And to top it off, the OST is beautiful. Almost made me want to avoid battles so the music wouldn't be disrupt or so the music wasn't disrupted. I'm usually not the biggest fan of swamp areas in games, but it's definitely an exception. Yeah, the Satoral Marsh definitely doesn't look like your standard swamp in a video game. Like, it's very bright and colorful and fantastical, I would say. It's a very fantasy-esque swamp. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Um, and there were a lot of... There, there, were, there were a few special enemies um, in that area that made it particularly special for me, too. Mm-hmm. Any particular ones? Um, there was that giant lizard, um, there was a big bird, I remember, in that area that was pretty tough to beat in the, in the early goings, you, you, and the thing is, you, you kind of didn't even know you were in its territory until you heard the special enemy music, mm-hmm. um, and you were like, oh, okay, I'm, 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 I'm in this territory, um, because it was, it'd be flying around, um, you know, and the fact that you had to kind of climb up a statue to get to the next area to, to get out of the swamp, that was very memorable. Um, you know, there, there were kind of a, there was a lot of interesting areas in how, you know, there was the no pond camp in the center where you could kind of rest up and then keep going. It, it was a very interesting area. Mm-hmm. And shout out, we didn't even touch on this in the in the main part, to the giant super hard monsters that just are cruising beginner like every area. And we'll like you'll have giant level ninety bosses in the beginning opening areas of Round Gore Plains. It's it, I definitely can't think of another RPG that's done that. The the only other one that's done that is probably Final Fantasy twelve. Um where that's in the very true. first area you have that level ninety dragon uh dinosaur. But they're not aggressive. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, many of them you encounter you you literally have to run from because they will chase you. Yeah. Yep. And you want to finish this one. up? Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is from Arrowhead VG from Reddit. I love the fallen arm. Shulk and Fior reunite. Other party members get some nice moments, and the story entered its second act. All that along with the area's music, and it's a very emotional part of the game. Yeah. That part of the game where you're kind of separated for a little while, um, mm-hmm. you know, until you all meet up again in the same area, 
you finally have your first, uh, you know, mech on town. You learn that, you know, they're not all as evil as you think they are. Um, you know, it's kind of a big reveal. Um, you know, when you get Fiora back, and she kind of has her doubts that she should maybe stay there because she isn't human anymore or hum. Um, you know, it's a very, very emotional part of the game. And yeah, and basically you find out that because she's no longer connected to her mech, she's basically dying because she doesn't have the organs to like purify and supply her with sustenance. So she's basically running on batteries, uh, like an internal battery. And there's all that. It's like we reunited, but because of the whole romantic nature between Shulk and Fiora, like they're happy. But at the same time, Fiora's like, I'm a monster. How can you? don't look at me kind of thing and her slowly fading and you see her going through things and hurting even though like outside of Shulk's vision but like she's going through things and it's just it's it's that's a very big part and I can completely understand why Arrowhead uh why that was such a standout moment for for them yeah I agree but thank you to everyone that submitted your memories and your fond moments to us over on Reddit. I very much appreciate it. And in the show description, you can click on the link to take you to the subreddits themselves and feel free to share your own memories. I love reading them and I very much appreciate everyone who's taken the time to share theirs. So. But let's say all of our talk about this fantastic game and you're wondering and you're thinking to yourself, man, I would really like to play this now. Well, we are in luck. We have some tips on where to find your own copy. For the Wii, uh, luckily it's gone down in price quite significantly. New is still rather hard to find, so look at spending a bit of money with that. But luckily, used physical versions of the Wii copy will net you between 20 and $35 depending on completeness. But if you don't mind having, uh, but if having a physical copy doesn't mean much to you and you'd rather just have it to have it, it is still available on the Wii U digital eShop for $20 as the time of the recording if your Wii eShop is still around. But if you want to play it more on the go and you don't own a Switch, you can still find it on the 3DS, the new, excuse me, the new 3DS models with the enhanced CPU, I think it was, or GPU. New copies of that go for around 50 bucks, whereas used physical copies will net will range between 15 and $25, depending on their completeness. And it's still available on the Nintendo eShop, the, the 3DS store, but it's still full price at $40. And of course, the latest release that came out this year, the Switch Definitive Edition, Physical will net you between brand new. You're looking at fifty to sixty dollars, um, still, but it's still fairly readily available online, so you shouldn't have issues finding that. Uh, and used, you're looking at between thirty-five, thirty-five, and probably fifty uh, for that as well, depending on completeness. And digital, it's sixty dollars on the Nintendo eShop. So, so let's say this hype. In this hypothetical situation, you've gone out and snagged yourself your own copy. Well, we are here, Stealth and I, to give you some advice to begin your adventure on the Bionis and Mechanis. So, Stealth, what advice or tips would you give to brand new players? So, the advice that I got, and it kind of became necessary, is do as many side quests as you can, not only for the items, but for the experience. Um, You know, if you just play through the game normally, and even if you, you know, think you're just battling monsters as you go you'll run into bosses that will completely annihilate you and you will find yourself underleveled quite a lot. So do side quests. Yes. And for my tip, I would say try out different characters and combinations of your party to find out what really works and gels with you. And as I know I have this issue, I always tend to stick with controlling the main character in an RPG. Uh, Don't be afraid to try out controlling different characters besides Shulk. You might find that some just are more your style. If you want to be more of a tank, control Rhine or Ricky. If you want to be more of a mage, rock Melia. You know, do something, just 
don't be afraid to try out different characters swap in their arts and just try everything We are on to one of my favorite parts of each episode, the Monster of the Week. Now this week we have, we talked about this a little bit earlier on, um, about the unique monsters in each of the areas that you can encounter. But So this week we are going to talk about one of those. Stealth, what monster is our Monster of the Week? Uh, the Monster of the Week is the Immovable Gonzalez who I believe is a level 99 um, kind of gorilla-looking gigantic monster um, that really actually just appears. Um, there is a part in the Great Gower Plains where you kind of battle um, a boss on this kind of spiral rock. Um, afterward, if you go there at any point after, you will see this monster. If you warp to that point, he will be there. Um, you don't necessarily have to fight him, but he just stays there. Um, and yeah, it, it's kind of unnerving that, you know, every time you warp to that one area, if you turn around, you see this level 99 monster um, that most people will literally never fight because they will never they will never get up to the level 90s where you have to kind of be to fight him. Um, and if you fight him pretty much at any point, even when you're level 80, um, he'll one hit kill you. Um, so he's definitely probably one of the more memorable monsters in the game because, you know, who and in what other RPG would you see a level 99 monster, you know, that isn't in the post game? Yeah. For me, the, the biggest takeaway from Gonzalez is just his name. I love that he's just a giant monkey called the immovable Gonzalez. Uh, yeah. It's hilarious. But yes, he is actually level 90. Uh, and, okay. and you yeah. will find him he can be found in Spiral Valley after the battle with the tentacle mechon and the mysterious face it can drop gogol horns which are required for the token of friendship as a as required for a token of friendship quest in the colony 6 reconstruction he has 310,700 HP his attack is 1,600 or 1,657 with an ether value of 1,332 yeah. His physical defense and ether defense is at zero percent, so he is. But I mean, with that much with that much life, he can take a beating. Uh, his agility is at 122, and he has a double attack rate percentage chance of 15 percent, but a zero percent chance for uh, criticals. Um, and he does respawn. There's a 30 percent chance that he will respawn. Yeah, and he doesn't. He's not even like a, a post-game boss or even one of the hardest monsters in the game. It's just very memorable how early you see mm -hmm. a level 90 monster yeah and he will give you 54,000 experience and 873 ap so if you feel up to the task be sure to level up and bring your best weapons and arts to take on and see if you can move the unmovable gonzalez Well, that is going to do it, everybody, for another episode of RPG University. Still, thank you so much for stopping by and uh, coming back on for this your season two appearance of uh, RPG University. Yes, thank you so much. This was definitely a, a long time in the works for sure. Yeah, uh, crazy busy. You know, things happen, and it's a it's a good game. We had to let it sit and percolate in our brains so we could talk about it. That's all. Exactly, and I was definitely playing it slower than a lot of other people were. Uh, it's it's a game you should savor. Don't try and rush through it. Like, take your time. Explore the world. Find all the secret areas. It's a game that rewards patience and just it's like a fine wine. You just enjoy it. But where can people find you online, Stealth, and uh, what do you got cooking? Uh, people can find me on Twitter and on Twitch. Um, my username is at Stealth40K. It is the same on both platforms. And um. I've been streaming actually a game that you've talked about frequently, uh, Dragon Quest XI S Definitive Edition, which is, I believe, the game I talked about yeah. in my last appearance. You were. 
So I am actually streaming that for my second playthrough. Oh, what kind of playthrough are you doing? Um, you know, just a regular playthrough, get what I can, not necessarily pressuring myself with 100%, but, um, you know, just wanting people to learn more about that game if they haven't seen it before. Yeah, doing it in 3D or 2D mode? I'm doing it in 3D. 3D, nice. So definitely give that a check out. Uh, and also listen to Stell's previous episode where we talked all about the wonders and joys of Dragon Quest Eleven S Definitive Edition on Switch currently and coming soon to PC and PS4. So, good stuff. But thank you once again for those of you that stayed and stuck around to the end. You've returned light to the crystals and unlocked a new job class. Be sure to rate and review us on your preferred podcast service as each one you leave will cause a leaf on the mantle tree to bloom and help restore balance to save the world. Plus, I would just really appreciate it. If you have an RPG you would like to talk about, tweet at IrrationalPod with the hashtag RPGU with what game you would like to talk about or hear us talk about here at the university. Until next time, everybody, stay safe, stay healthy, be kind to each other. Class dismissed.